What is going on, everybody? It's me, your co-host. And me, your other co-host. Nick and Nick. And this is Real to Real Movie Reviews. All right, Nick. We ready for this? I think so. All right. We got an awesome show for you guys tonight. I know last week we covered it. Another incredible Stephen King movie. Yeah. And I think you were saying you had finished um, listening to it recently and you had a few things. Oh, yeah. 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 I, uh, I guess it was, I just listened to the end of the book. I think it was like a couple hours worth from the previous time that I listened to it, like last year. Uh, let's see. I got a couple, um, a couple callbacks that were in the movie that weren't that we kind of had questions about. Uh, and the first one I got here is, is in it chapter one, when, when Bill sees Georgie in the house and he goes in the basement and like, it's down there like a puppeteer, you know, like talking with him and the basement's flooded. You remember that part? Yes. Very vividly. (laughs) Right. That's a callback to the book. Because in the book, the sewer system is so backed up. There's some, something clogging the drains and stuff, and it's flooding all the houses, uh, either on Bill Street or like almost all the houses in Derry. So that's why there was that's why the basement was all flooded. Interesting. I'm glad now that they incorporated that. Even right. though if you didn't read the book, it's funny you wouldn't even have thought of it like that. Right. Yeah. And I know we also talked about the difference between um, what was the dude's name who played Pennywise in the in the series? Do you remember? Oh, you mean in the original? Yeah. Bill Curry. Yeah. Oh, oh, Tim Curry, right? Oh, Tim Curry. Curry. I'm thinking of Bill Murray. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I know we talked about the difference between Tim Curry's performance and um, uh Skarsgård's performance and uh Tim Curry's performance is more like authentic to the book so like it in the book Pennywise in the book is exactly like uh Tim Curry was in this in the miniseries interesting yeah so he was all like jokey and like laughy and stuff like that throughout the book I noticed that while I was listening to it Right. And thinking of that, too, it is, it is funny because I definitely liked that character, how it plays out like in the original. But I could see why in the new version, they definitely wanted Pennywise to have. I mean, he still could have scenes where he's comical, but definitely right. a lot more serious and like vicious. Right, right. Um. And then the next one I got here is the scene where Henry kills his dad <clears throat> um, is, is like a it's a callback to like this crazy, weird astral project, astral projection slash like time travel 
slash dream uh, thing that Bev's husband, Tom, has uh, when he arrives in Derry because he kind of chases after Bev. I know in it chapter two, I can't remember if it shows her husband or not, but he like chases her to Derry. Um, it was kind of like a dream he had. And also, I didn't I didn't realize this the first time, but in the book, Henry's dad isn't a cop. He's not the sheriff. He's just like some redneck backwoods farmer dude. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised they chose to change that. Right? He was uh he was um uh what's the kid's name? What's the farmer kid's name? Where they had the sheep farm. What, what was his name? I forget. Oh god, why why am <laughs> I forget? We just went over this. Anyway, it was his neighbor. They were like neighbors. Wait, book. really? Yeah. And um, the last note I have here is, so I had mentioned when I, I, I always, I always have this scene in my head from when I watched it, the series for the first time as a child, as like a kid, I always have this scene in my head where they're like on one side of this swamp and they're on their bikes and they're looking out um, at this weird building. I, I thought it was like the, uh, the barons or whatever, but it was actually called the pump house. And that's how they, they like enter its realm in the book. Yes. Yeah. So. So those are all the notes I have. Those are all the notes I have for. Uh, callbacks to it after listening to, to the rest of the book. Definitely. No. And I mean, it, it shows you why when you really can get into a movie it's worth it, of course, with any like newer movie. If an original exists, I always like Ooh. after watching the new one. Yeah, I personally am like, all right, now I got to see the original. Right. And uh, on that note, with uh, the movie that we're going to talk about today, I was so tempted to go and watch the the remake. I didn't, but I wanted to. I was so tempted to. I almost did, but I didn't. <laughs> so yeah, let, let's let's jump right into to what we're covering today. So in the opening credits to the original Pet Cemetery, mm -hmm. this is the first thing I like made note of. But even when I was younger watching the movie, I just loved it. Starts on a very like ominous tone. Yes, it does. I loved it. <laughs> Yo, know, it has like the creepy childlike music playing. Yeah. And then there's like the reading aloud of different tombstones. They're kind of oh, yeah, like being narrated. Yep. Yeah. Was that on the uh was that on the VHS where they they read aloud? Yes, and that's why <laughs> it was funny. I was trying to make the connections yeah. to what was different on the DVD, but were they I don't like know, I... reading them? Like kid voices or? It was. And it was very strange because it was like an overlay to the music. Hmm. Yeah, no, that was not. That's not in the version I watched. Yeah, that was one of the first things I noted. It was kind of a weird tie in, but it makes right. it even creepier. Right. I did note some of the. Uh, some of the. Um, I wrote some of them down. Let's see if I can find them. 
I might have deleted them, but I did note some of the, you know, the little rhymes that they wrote on top of the on the graves, like the headstones. I can't find them, though. You you might know this. I'm not sure. The connection between Stephen King, like the person, like, you know, him himself, like his personal connection to this story. Ooh, I don't. I'm trying. It's good. Like, it's I could almost good. envision it, but. It's pretty good. It was uh, so he he's quoted as saying this is the only story that's ever scared him so much that he almost he didn't he almost didn't um, publish it. It he wrote it and then it he put it away and it sat you know for a while, uh, and then I guess through some sort of deal he had with a publisher, he was supposed to, when when he left the publishing company he was using he owed them one more book so he. He his wife talked him into publishing Pet Cemetery. Um, and that's that's how it got published. But while when he apparently he taught at a college, I, I forget what college it was, some college up there, he taught English or some or some English class for a year. Uh and while while he was doing that, he stayed at a house on the side of a road that had big ass trucks flying by from a a chemical company, you know, and there was a pet cemetery in the yard, like just like in the movie. And it was spelled oh the God. same way. Like that's where he got the spelt with an S because it was, the pet cemetery in the yard was spelt like that. Oh my. See, I love that because I always wondered, I should have looked into it, but. I knew there had to have been a reason why he went with that spelling. Right. And like, and he, and he had a little kid like Gage, he had a little kid at the time and they were worried that he was going to get hit by a car or one of the trucks. So yeah, he's got like a real personal connection to this story. God. And it's crazy too. Cause just driving through rural Maine a few times, it's like, <laughs> That scene, I could just envision because those back roads, it's like all trucks basically mm. going through with either like lumber or right going Canada. Right. I don't think I've ever. The only like back roads in Maine I've ever been on are like, you know, the back roads between like York Beach and Wells, <laughs> something like that. I've never actually been into the interior of Maine. Yeah, it's definite. It really is like they call it the Maine wilderness, but mm. it's crazy up there. Uh, on a side note, and I know Stephen King, though, you know, not only from Maine, but he most of his stories are set in Maine because that's right a very significant place for him. Yeah, and I know, and I think even in Pet Cemetery, because I oh and. I don't know if I told you this. I also I had an Audible credit pop up at the beginning of the month, so I I downloaded the uh, the Pet Cemetery book. So I also listened to the book. Um, oh, you did? Yeah, and it mentions dairy several times, just in passing, you know. Oh, I love that. Even like little tie-ins like that, I love because it just kind of connects different universes, right? So, and, and I also want to add, before we get too far, I want to thank you 
for reintroducing me to this to this whole pet cemetery universe. Like I had seen pet cemetery as a as like a kid. Um and when we were gonna do it, you know, I was just like, oh okay, cool. Yeah. I did not realize how how fascinated I would become, you know, would would be uh would become with pet cemetery. I I really love hearing that because like I mentioned, I this has been for me like a movie that really got me into horror, I might add. Like this was when I was like in middle school when I first found out about Stephen King and like kind of Pet Cemetery, Children of the Corn. Those both really got me into horror. Yeah. And there's a whole year. And like you said, it is a universe because there's sequels, a remake. And as you know, another Pet Cemetery is on its way out. Oh, yeah. The Bloodlines. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was a movie or a TV show, like a Paramount Plus show or a movie. I I, I wasn't sure. Oh, you know, it very well might be a series. But it looks it looks very interesting. Uh, and I, I think we'll see a, a younger uh, Judd, right? That's his name, Judd, the neighbor guy. Yes. I'm pretty sure we're going to see a younger Judd in that that series or movie did you we don't we don't really have to get into it much right now but because it'll pop up later on but did you you watch the trailer oh God. it's funny i meant to but i still haven't oh you didn't oh man it uh you want me I to need... spoil it for you i was gonna say go ahead i gotta hear it <laughs> All right, it it I mean it's it's not really spoiling, but uh because it it shows it in the trailer, but it it looks like Pet Cemetery Bloodlines is going to be about the World War II veteran who was killed and then buried in the in the the actual you know Pet Cemetery in the actual graveyard or uh the Indian burial ground. And that, you know, and then he comes back to life and he's all like messed up and and weird. It's I'm pretty sure it's based on that. And that, like I said, is going to be an incredible storyline because when we get to it in this movie, I mean. That plot point is really. Mm, yeah, not only like creepy, but like there's just so much to it. Yeah. And, and, and when we get to that point, I'll. I'll expound a little further, but the book goes into a little bit more detail uh, of what might be going on. And it's pretty interesting. That is, because I mean, as we'll get into, there has to be quite the backstory to how this place came to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was another thing. It looks like it gets into a lot of the, the, you know, the the Micmac Indian stuff. And that'll be really incredible to see. Right. But, but all right, you want to, uh, should we start jump right into the, the first couple scenes here? Yeah, that sounds good. We kind of got through the opening credits and. I would, I, I remember writing down some of the, 
the little rhymes that the kids wrote on the headstones, but I, I can't find them. I must have deleted them or something because there were some good ones. There was one about a, a dog that had a, a good sniffer. Something about a, a dog with a good sniffer and how it made them richer until the day he died. I don't know. It was funny, though. Oh, God, I like that. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, so they the movie starts and it's like got this creepy music. Um, and I guess depending on which one you watch, you you either have to read the headstones or there's like sounds like sounds like there's kids that are reading the headstones as as it go as the camera pans by. Exactly. You're like hearing a flashback. Right. From them, so to speak. Right. And uh, so, yeah, as the, you know, the, the camera pans over all these different headstones you don't really know what's going on at first you know but the the all these rhymes and 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 i don't know what you want to call them quick eulogies or or something about whatever's buried under the ground you kind of get the feeling that they're pets automatically and uh and you'll love it i got that quote for you oh okay. biffer biffer yeah biffer. <laughs> a hell of a sniffer yeah until he died Yep. He made us richer. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Biffer. <laughs> but uh that, that was that was my favorite one. Um but yeah, so the camera goes through all this and then it pans out. And I, I was I also thought it was interesting how the graves are in circles. There's like an outer circle and then like an inner circle of graves. They're not like in, in rows, you know, it's they're just in circles. It it automatically kind of gives it a more ominous feel, right? Just by the way it's set up. Yep. Um. So we have we have uh Lewis and Rachel, a husband and wife, with their children Ellie and Gage, um, and they have a pet cat named Church. And I short for out. Winston. <laughs> what? I said short for Winston Churchill. <laughs> right. Okay. I was just gonna say that. I couldn't figure out if the cat's name was actually uh Winston Churchill or if it was just church. Because I heard them mention that several times. Um so yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it was it's just they reference it and right. Um so yeah, so they moved from Chicago to rural uh, Maine, Ludlow, Maine. And I'm guessing that is a fictional town. Do you know? I, I'm glad you brought that up. I was hoping you did, because funny enough, Maine does have an actual Ludlow, but it's such a small town. It's like, well, not to say Ludlow, Vermont is huge, <laughs> but... Compared to that Ludlow, I think right. about like two hundred people. Oh wow, it's pretty small. Do you think it's the same Ludlow, or or is it just like it probably is? If he's mentioning Ludlow, Maine, it's got to be the same Ludlow, right? I mean, it would make sense for if, sure. You know if that. <laughs> You know if that Ludlow, Maine, is anywhere? Is it near? Um, is it near Bangor? Like, is Bangor close by? Bangor being the capital of Maine. It's a solid, maybe like two hours. 
oh, outside yeah. of it. It's in like very northern Maine. Because mm. the, uh, the Ludlow, Maine in Pet Cemetery, where they live, is like, I, wa- I want to say it's only like a half an hour or 45 minutes from Bangor. Because they kind of reference it after uh, the thing happens with Gage. Because they have to go back and forth to the cemetery, like his, his funeral and everything. And it sounded like it wasn't that far away. Bangor was not as, you know, that far. So I guess it's technically not the same Ludlow, Maine, but we could just call it the same Ludlow, Maine. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. So Lewis, the husband, he accepts a job as a uh, as a doctor at a uh, the University of Maine. He's kind of like or maybe not the doctor, but like, you know, the physician, the the overseeing physician. Right. For this college. And I love, like, right off the bat, we get introduced to probably one of my favorite characters. Mm. And that's Judd Crandall. Yeah. He is. Actually, I I was like, oh, my God, I do. He's one of, I think he might be one of my favorite uh, movie characters of all times. (laughs) I lo- I was gonna say, did you used to like the Munsters? Uh, I I watched it when I was younger, yeah, but it's not something I I really liked. I don't think. And it's just always funny to me comparing like his role, because you know that was one of his earlier roles. Really? Yep. Who do you, which which one was he? He was Herman Munster. Oh wow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I guess I could see that now in my head. He does right. Look, so do I've always good. had that. <laughs> That's funny. I'm gonna try to bring up his his classic quote. You know, whenever you think of whenever somebody talks about pet cemetery, they always say they're always like, I, "I'm gonna try to do it. I'm gonna try to do it as best I can." I've been practicing. They don't go down there. The land's sour, <laughs> something like that. That ground oh, is I- sour. And I love the way he says it too. Yeah, it's, it's like, like full his blown. Accent. Yeah, that's that's like deep woods, Maine. <laughs> it really is like it embodies the area perfectly. Right. Oh, I wish I wish they had a. I wish they had just like a clip of him saying it. Oh, I know. For anyone who hasn't seen the movie, that alone should be a reason to see it. Yeah, his character is awesome. He's always he's not he's not getting drunk. He's not getting wasted or anything, but he's always sitting out on his porch, drinking a beer, yeah, a cigarette, watching the world go by. You know, his classic small town, perfectly happy. Just just doing that, you know? Probably just a really down to earth guy. That you... Yeah. Judd Crandall, he's definitely definitely one of my favorite. And I have seen the the remake a long time ago, like when it first came out. And the, the Judd Crandall in that one is nowhere near as good as the one in the original. It's I'm glad you said that because and I know there's even people who have disagreed with me when I've said this to them, but that's why I just think the remake doesn't cut it to the original. 
Right. I don't I don't I don't remember the remake very well either, but I, I remember the guy who played Judd Crandall is um of course now I I have no idea what the actor's name is, but you who 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 did who would he who I'm trying to think of a movie he would have played in that, that people would know him. And I can't I can't do that either, so his name is John Lithgow. Yeah. Okay. And yep. his biggest roles that people would probably know him. Let's see. Hmm. Do you have a I'm list? Of to... There is, but I a lot of them are like TV show episodes. Name some off here. I I bring them up too. Let's see, because I yeah. know him from a specific. Oh yeah, Third Rock of the Sun. Yep. I guess I really only know him from Daddy's Home too. <laughs> I don't know if you ever seen that, but it's actually a really funny Christmas movie. Going back a little bit, he was in Shrek. He was Lord Farquaad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he appeared in a show I used to like, Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, I'm not seeing. I feel like I know him from a specific movie that I liked, but I'm not seeing it on this list. So I don't know. I guess I just just from. I don't know. TV, I guess. Right. I'm going to run through his stuff really quick. One more. Or maybe it's the Planet of the Apes I'm thinking of. Rise to the Planet of the Apes. Because I don't know if you ever seen that movie, but he plays the dad who has like Alzheimer's or something. Maybe that's the movie I'm thinking of. Hmm. Oh, Curry and the fucking Hendersons. That's what it is. Oh, God. All right, I see that now, too. George Henderson. Yeah. That's what it is. Yep. I don't know if you liked that movie as a kid, but I fucking I love that movie. Um, I was going to say, that's, a, that's an 80s classic for sure. <laughs> right. But, uh... But yeah, so he so he he plays the the remake of Judd, uh, not as good as the original, but but yeah, so so this neighbor, Judd Crandall, who who just so happens to save, uh, baby Gage, as they first move in from getting hit by a truck, uh, on the side of the road, um, as he's introducing himself, you know, and he takes the family down to this this little this little place called the pet cemetery they make like a whole event of it too which i yeah, love they do because they do. in the beginning they're like hey what's down that path you know the little girl she's like what's down there and i'll take you down there one day you see and uh yeah they, they make like a whole family picnic of it and ellie's really excited and mm-hmm um, and yeah, I think the most interesting thing about this is that cemetery is, is spelled completely difficult. S-E-M-A-T-A-R-Y. Exactly. Is... Like if you were to say that, it would be like cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, that's, that's, that's that rural Mainer, the Mainer in them. Exactly. <laughs> but. 
but yeah, so that's probably the most interesting thing that we see so far. We're like, you know, that that's weird. And and how this oh yeah, and we're introduced to the deadfall, you know, this this huge uh you know, like wall of of just like fallen trees and sticks and all sorts of brush just piled together. And even even since I was little, that part of the movie was always so interesting to me, even in like a later scene, because it there's a lot to it. Oh yeah, there it's is. It's not just like if you're just picturing a pile of sticks, like right. It's quite I... the thing to navigate. That's for sure. Yeah, like if you if you read the book, the book makes it sound like it's just one big tree that that's fallen over. Uh, when it first describes it, but then as it as you as the book goes on, it kind of gets into how it's this huge, huge, tall pile of stuff that it's impossible to walk over. You'll break your leg, you'll fall in, you'll kill yourself trying to do it type of deal. Um, and I think the movie does a, a way better job of depicting this this deadfall. And and one thing I do remember from the from the remake is that the remake did a real good job of depicting what this this you know deadfall this wall of of brush looked like and i have it pulled up right in front of me right now too just the deadfall is definitely really cool uh ellie is the daughter's name um she's kind of, yep. she's kind of afraid of the cemetery and judd's like explaining you know like oh how the how the road kills a lot of, of pets, but, you know, death is nothing to be afraid of. It's just the next step and, you know, blah, 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 that, that kind of stuff. And the mom, whose name is... Um, Rachel. Rachel, yeah. Rachel! <laughs> um, uh, she, she, she gets all mad at Judd for, you know, talking about death and, and kind of showing ellie the 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 pet cemetery to begin with she was all happy about it at first uh but then i guess she got after seeing uh uh ellie's reaction she gets kind of upset she does and that becomes a little plot point too yep kind of the way ellie gets a little too fascinated with like death and just even the concept of dying right one thing I pulled from this is how the pet cemetery itself looks like a scary place, right? But it, it's not. It's perfectly normal pet cemetery. Uh, but the Micmac burial ground looks so in it, it. It it doesn't look scary at all. It just looks like you know a bunch of rocks. But it's like the most scariest place that it, that could possibly be. And it does show you. I think it. You see this theme a lot coming up, just how deceiving, like, looks can be. Right. Like, another character who we're about to get introduced to, which, I don't know, this probably freaked me out the most about this movie when I was younger. But Victor Pascal. Oh, yeah. He is Victor Pascal. When when this scene popped up, I I had no idea what was going on. Um, the movie 
made it sound like because they're all like rushing up the steps into the hospital right and it makes it sound like people are like shooting guns and like there's a war going on that that's what i at first not remembering anything i didn't remember the this is like the first time i've seen this movie in 25 years or 20 years you know and i, I was right. like oh, there, there's like a shooting going on like there's like a little war going on or something i had no idea what was going on i and it's funny you say that because it's true though that I would definitely describe that scene as, like, very chaotic. Yeah. Like, just the way, like, it's... Until you kind of realize what's happening... Right. It kind of just jumps right into it. Yeah. So, uh... So, yeah, Victor Pascal, he was a jogger, um... Who was mortally injured. He got, He was hit by a car... Or a truck. It was either a car or a truck. I don't remember which one. Um, and he was brought into the, you know, the hospital there at the, at the college. And I'm and I'm not sure if it goes into it in the movie, but this this would be, um, his first day, uh, as you know, as as, as attending physician of this college. <laughs> Lewis is yes, it does reference that. <laughs> right. Okay. Um. And yeah, so so Pascal, Victor Pascal, he ends up dying. Uh and it's 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 pretty brutal. Like <laughs> um there's like blood pumping out of his head and it's like bubbles and all sorts of crazy stuff going on. And, I was gonna say he's in rough shape. <laughs> yeah, he's his head's like cracked wide open. And um uh Lewis is left alone with Victor, uh who's who's he declares dead, you know, um, and and then all of a sudden, Victor pops pops to life, right? And and you think you're like, oh my god, this guy, he's not dead after all, he's still alive, and he's like, I don't, I think this is when like the blood starts squirting out of his head, um, and he warns Lewis, I couldn't get his exact warning, like his exact quote and and what he said exactly to Lewis. But he warns Lewis about the the cemetery, not the pet cemetery, but the actual cemetery, the Micmac burial grounds. Um, and he calls Lewis by name, which really freaks him out. Right. And he keeps saying, he's like, how did you know my name? Right. And then we find that uh, this never happened. Like, this didn't actually happen. Victor didn't jump back to life. He's still dead. Um, and it's just like this ominous warning that, that, uh, um, Lewis gets and he, he's not, you know, at this point, you're not really sure, like, like, is he imagining this? Did this, the, you know, is something really just happen? What's going on? You're not really sure what's going on. Right. Exactly. Until that night, uh, when, when, what the heck's his name? Pascal. Victor Pascal. Yeah, Victor Pascal appears to Lewis as a ghost um and leads him to the to the pet cemetery. And this is this is honestly one of my favorite scenes of the movie. So it has a very great quote that we'll get to too. Yeah, I I specifically remember in this scene uh 
Lewis being afraid at first and then kind of like not even believing what he's seeing. So there's like several times where he's, he's like, um, he follows him out of the bedroom. You know, he sees him in the bedroom and he, he freaks out or whatever. And then he's like, I didn't just see that. And then he gets up and I think he's like walking around the house and he sees him again. Um, and he's like, I didn't just see that. <laughs> and then he like sees him again for the third time. If I'm remembering properly, I, I might not be remembering properly, but I feel like it's just like this lit, you know, he's like, that didn't happen. This isn't happening. This isn't happening. And then he's like, oh shit, this is happening. <laughs> like he's trying to convince himself he's sleepwalking. It's right. But yeah, so he leads him to the pet cemetery, to the deadfall. Um, and he warns him to not cross the barrier. To the place where the dead speak. The dead. Yeah. And I remember him calling the ground sour. I think this is the first reference to that. To the ground being sour. Yes. And I love that analogy he uses. Right. And this is that that's like the quote that I'm I'm not even sure that that Judd uh ever says that. He might, if I I but I'm not remembering. I don't know if you know. Um I know I don't recall him using that term, no. But whenever you talk to someone about the pet cemetery, they always use Judd's voice. And they always say, the land's gone sour. <laughs> it but is I, an iconic saying. Right. It's kind of like, uh, you know, like, Luke, I am your father. When Darth Vader actually didn't say that. <laughs> right. I know, it's funny how certain things just become like a part of our culture like that. Right. Right. Um. So yeah, Pascal, he warns them not to cross the barrier. Um, and then Lewis wakes up the next morning. And yeah, he assumes it's like a dream. You know, he's like, he looks around. He's just in his bed. Yeah, he, yeah. And he looks around and everything's fine. And he takes a deep breath. And he goes to get out of bed. And he lifts the sheet up in his feet or feet and the bed under his feet are just covered in dirt and sticks and leaves and you know, all sorts of shit. Like, he was definitely outside walking around. Yeah, it's like the minute he sees that, it's just that realization that, yep, that just happened. Right. And I remember I remember in the book, at this point, he, like, he, you know, he makes this big scene about trying to hide this, and he has to hide this, and he has to, like, hide the sheet so his wife doesn't see, and it's just, like, this big thing, because he's still, like, not believing what is going on he he's so he's like science driven you know he's a doctor he he doesn't believe in this 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 um uh, you know like i don't know what you want to call it um right like any kind of paranormal event that right yeah he doesn't believe in anything like that or he doesn't want to let's see here i had something i wanted to add the so this this what i want i wanted to add something to the to the part where they first originally go to the pet cemetery um oh yeah when they when they come back that night ellie the you know his daughter she's all worried that that church is gonna die and you know she's like when you know i don't want him to die and blah 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 blah. uh and i think this is a pretty key part where ellie asks her dad about you know they're talking about death and she's worried that her cat's gonna die um and she asks him who makes the rules 
And she answers herself. She answers her own question and she says, God. Uh, and this, you know, it's like this single quick conversation is, is almost like what the whole movie is about. Like, who makes the rules? If it's not God, then who is it? You know, like. And yeah, so this like this this simple and it's a simple conversation. It happens real quickly. You know, it's like a like a, a one minute scene, you know, um, but it kind but of it is like a question of morality at that point. I think it's even it's even more than that. Like if God, if the pet cemetery and I'm going to call it the pet cemetery because I believe I don't, I don't know if this is the whole reason why the book is actually called Pet Cemetery because the Micmac burial ground is actually the real pet cemetery or not. So I'm just going to refer to the burial ground as the actual pet cemetery. Um, exactly. No, that makes sense. Because people bring their pets there to bring them back to life. Like there's the, the pet cemetery where you bury your, your dead pet or there's the pet cemetery where you bury your animal for it to come back, you know? Um, which would be the the Micmac burial ground, but but I think it's more than that. It's like if God makes the rules, and and nobody can change that, except there's this little area of land where you can bury something that has died. God has taken that life, um, and you can bury it there, and then it will come back to life. How does that come in? You know, how does that play? Who who's making those rules? Who who's overpowering God's rules? You know, and I mean, right? It's like when you think about it, even even trying to compare that thought to like other movies, it's a very oddly specific concept, but but it's very different, right? And than even like if you think of like any zombie movie, right? Right. The way somebody would come back to life in a movie like that. Yep. This is definitely like very different in the way it behaves. Right. And I think that's because it's it's a specific area. It's not like everyone who dies is, comes back to life as a zombie. It's like it's like if you die, you're dead unless you bring them to this one spot. You know, there's something in this one spot. Um, and this is why I'm so fascinated with this, this whole pet cemetery book or universe, you know, whatever they got going on now. I just want, I want to, I want to watch it all and I want to absorb it. I'm, I'm fascinated with this question because I, I brought it up to you really quick uh, a couple of days ago about doing an episode on like, like cursed grounds or like ancient earth magic. This is, this is a concept and I bring it up in my uh, almost canon podcast all the time like this this ancient magic um you know that's like within the earth it's like the earth itself is alive and it it's creating you know this crazy magic i don't i don't know how else to explain it it's just this right it's like earth the magic. earth is generating these results right and if you know how to maneuver Right, exactly. Yeah. In a certain way. Right. And, you know, these Micmac Indians that I'll bring up in a little while because they talk about them, 
you know, they found that out. They found out how to, um, how to harness that power. And in the the summit, the the book doesn't really get into it. Uh, but there, I mean, the movie doesn't really get into what is what is causing this to happen. But the book does a little bit. Not not as not as much as as you one would think. It's he still, uh, Stephen King still leaves it up. Uh, to interpretation really even in the book i mean he 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 mentions it uh in passing once i I believe once maybe twice um but even even that uh explanation isn't i don't know it's not anywhere near uh satisfying enough (laughs) that's fair because i mean you'd imagine the background that would have to be behind that right where it began yeah it's a very intriguing the more you think about it right um so yeah i just wanted to talk about that really for for one second because it's like the whole reason the whole death and who's who's making the rules is like why i'm so obsessed with with this all of a sudden thanks to you (laughs) i had no idea that this (laughs) this was was this i just thought it was like oh yeah you know, I remember that movie where you bury the the dead animals and they come back to life. Like, oh yeah, wow. But right, this, like there's more definitely than... a lot more to it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Lewis's feet—they're covered in dirt and sticks. Uh, and so he was definitely, if not walking with Pascal's ghost, he was definitely sleepwalking. Um. And then I think the next major scene that we get here is Thanksgiving. Uh, so the the movie starts off, you know, probably in like first of September or whatever, because they're starting, you know, school. Um, so now we're into November, Thanksgiving. And um, I forget exactly why, but Lewis stays home. Uh, for Thanksgiving and his his family, you know, his wife and his kids, his daughter and his his little son, they go to uh, Rachel's parents' house for Thanksgiving. Right, they fly back to Chicago. Yep, yep. And um, at some point during that that trip, Church is run over. Uh, he he is hit by a car or a truck, most likely a truck. And I don't think we really mentioned this. There is, so the house, uh, Lewis's house is on the side of a road and there is a a fertilizer factory, you know, up the road somewhere. And these trucks carrying this fertilizer are just flying by his house every day, constantly, you know, which is why exactly. they have the pet cemetery. I guess we should have, I should have. Uh, mentioned this earlier i mentioned it in passing really quick but this is why they had the pet cemetery because these trucks are flying up and down the road so so often that they're just hitting everybody's pets you know right and like you even find in vermont like like you said where the their house is where judd's house is you see they're built very close to the road too oh yeah yep that's that ties into everything as well i think every pet i had as a child um until i used to i lived at, on a on a street lower bartonsville it was you know a street called lower bartonsville um 
And it was just a street with, you know, there's a little village in the middle of nowhere, one street, um, houses on either side of the street, you know, very close to the road, just like, just like this. And I lost while I lived at the house, every single pet I had got hit by a car at some point, you know, that's, that's how the pets died. It wasn't of old age. It was by, you know, getting hit by a car. And we even had a pet cemetery. Now that I think of it, where we would, you know, down in the back field, we would bury, you know, all these pets that got hit by a car. Now that I think about it, I forgot all about that. Um, it wasn't in a right. circle, but they're down there. And, that, and that's one thing, too. I mean, this might be a random point to bring up, but I even think of, like, everybody, like, listening. It's, like, things like this, it's, like, so relative to where you live, too, because... I know, like, to someone in a city, it might, like, seem like a crazy concept. Right. But I feel like in rural areas, that's definitely, right. you know, depending on the area, something you probably would find a lot of, like, these pet cemeteries, like, if you actually were in Maine. Yeah, I'm sure you would. And um, uh, I know, like... If you live in in out in the country somewhere by a road, you know your pets are getting hit by a car. And if you live out in the country somewhere away from the road, they're getting eaten by other animals. So, and that's the truth. I know. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So so poor little church gets run over by a truck. Um, and Judd calls Lois over one morning. Uh. And they they take care of the cat. They 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 have to like he has to like peel it. This this is kind of important for later on. Uh, they have, he has to peel it off of the grass, you know, because it's it's been frosted to the grass. And um, they put it in a bag. And and Judd's like, "What what are you gonna tell Eller?" Uh, and Lewis doesn't know what he's gonna do. You know, his daughter loves this cat. She was so worried about it dying. You know, a month before, um. And it, it did, and it and, and they they were like, oh, I promise you, your 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 cat's not gonna die. Why would it die? You know, and and now it's dead. Yeah, it's very it's interesting. And one one part I liked about this scene is is Judd. He's so cool. He 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 puts a cigarette in his mouth, and then he he lights a match on the inside of his jacket. Like like, how do you do that? <laughs> that that's how fucking cool he is. He's just like right he's like you know like your country grandpa who you yeah, love he's totally country i i don't maybe it's just a sign of the time maybe it's just like that was just what you could do back then i don't know because you definitely can't do that with matches nowadays right i mean not that i smoke anymore but um you definitely can't do that with matches nowadays i just thought that was cool he's always he's always smoking too like jesus <laughs> yeah constantly and uh i'll bring this up too from the book i'm, I'm gonna keep referencing the book and i'm not gonna do this every episode because i'm not gonna be able to get the book to every movie not that every movie that we're gonna do has a book behind it but um it's cool though when there is that tie-in right right in the book judd has a wife who's who's like part of the family you know he she she does all the stuff with all of them and that's interesting that that was totally left out. I know. 
But I mean, I guess it makes sense. I mean, she's she doesn't really play a huge role in anything, but uh, right. But. And I think it adds to the dramaticness, like I or not even the dramaticness, but the fact that he's single in this, or that maybe she's passed away in the movie. It kind of just yeah. adds to like the eccentricness of his character. Yeah, I got the feeling that she had like he had a wife at some point, and she had already passed away, but. But um, Lewis, he he eventually realizes that uh, Ellie is gonna be devastated because of, you know, or I, I guess he always knew Ellie was gonna be devastated, um, and I forget exactly what causes this, but Judd, you know, they're gonna go bury the cat, um, so Judd takes him out to the pet cemetery and. And Lewis thinks that they're just going to bury the cat in the pet cemetery, you know, like they're going to hide it there somehow. Um, but but uh, Judd takes Lewis beyond the deadfall. And and, this, and when this scene happens, it's so dramatic because. I don't know you could tell. You know, going back, like you said, even with the whole scene with Victor Pascal, how wasn't really sure if it was a dream or he was questioning his reality. It's like, even if he has any hesitation here, you could tell he's like still trying to be like rational about it. Yep. Yeah. This was definitely my favorite scene throughout the whole, the whole movie. Um, And tell me your opinion, because I've always felt like this. Doesn't it feel like you get the impression that, you know, the distance they go, <laughs> like you would have sworn it was like 20 miles away. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it does. It gives you that, that impression because they, yeah, they go like over the deadfall and then it shows them like walking uh, through the woods up this hill and and this is this is really as far as the movie goes into what is going on beyond the deadfall that i and i remember i i i know i uh, mentioned it to you and we talked about it briefly there's a deleted scene where or it comes in later i'll bring it up later but there's a deleted scene that goes even deeper into this this concept of what's going yeah. on in the dead the deadfall but uh in in the actual movie, uh, they're walking up this hill in the woods, and they hear something. Right? There's a weird sounds. They hear weird sounds coming from the woods, and they stop. And Judd's like, "Shh, shh be quiet, be quiet." He's like, "Stop, stop, stop." Um, and they're listening, and you can kind of hear something, but you're not sure what's going on. Uh, and then Judd's like, "It's just loons, uh, coming from the." Exactly. And uh, so you're like, "Oh, that that was weird." Like. But you could definitely tell that he was real nervous there for a second. Um, so you're like, what's going on? And then, you know, they continue to walk even further. They even go past, like, this quarry. They're, like, walking past the quarry. And then, like, it goes from the woods to this quarry to, like, bare. Like, they're on the top of a mountain or something. There's no trees. It's all barren rocks and... and uh you know, like and the way it's set up is incredible. We should post that photo too. Oh yeah, the cemetery it's or the burial ground itself. 
Yes. That's my that that like I love this scene. That's my favorite shot of the whole movie was that when they first get to the burial ground and just that whole there's like the 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 music is so dramatic. It's like boom, boom, boom. I I don't I don't know what it sounded like, but it was such a so like it's really surreal, spooky. isn't it? Yeah, it's super, super surreal and spooky. Um but yeah, this whole time, uh um, what's his name? What the heck's his name? I forget already. Wait, who? who? The dad. <laughs> what is oh, so Lois. Yeah, yeah, Lois. Uh, he. He's even at this point. He's like, um, he uh, Louis. Louis is like, what is going on? You know, why are we going all the way out here? We're so far away. Like. Like, where are we going the whole time? He keeps asking Judd that. And Judd's like, come on, it's just a little bit further, you know. That's his that. famous line during right. that scene. <laughs> just a little bit further. Um, and uh, he goes on to explain that they, they're they going, or I, I'm pretty sure he does it when they get to the burial ground. But he says, you know, these are the ancient Micmac burial grounds. Um and the Micmac, they're a you know they're a Native American tribe and a First Nations tribe. They're actually more of a Canadian uh, tribe than they are you know an, an American Indian tribe. And um, oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, so they they come from you know east you know uh, the east coast of May uh, of uh, Canada, and even all going all the way up to Newfoundland and. Uh, they they kind of worked their way down a little bit into Maine, like the northern parts of Maine, a little bit. Um, but uh, their part and th and, th and this plays a, a big part too in the overall what's going on. Apparently, they're part of the uh, the Algonquin uh, language language family, which is like a whole, pretty much all the Native Americans along the northeast, you know, coast of the United States and Canada. Pretty much going all the way out to the Great Lakes, they're all part of this Algonquin, uh, you know, native speaking group. Like this native, uh, the Algon I, I forget exactly what it's called. It's like a, the Algonquin family tribe or the Algonquin speaking family tribe or something like that. But anyway, so they all they all kind of come from the same, you know, the same group of uh, Native Americans, or I believe they're called um, Indigenous people now. So they all kind of like originate from this one group of indigenous peoples. Uh, and then they, from there, they kind of broke into these smaller tribes like the Micmac or the Iroquois. Um, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. And I forgot there was another big one. I forget what it is. Another big Canadian one, but. Uh, and uh, I love how that connects too. But yeah, and I, I guess I'll bring it up now since this is probably one of the best. No, no I'll, I'll wait. I won't I won't spoil it yet. But uh he um these these Algonquin speaking, you know, these 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 tribes of the Algonquin speaking family group, they they believe in a a certain, you know, their their lore speaks of this certain creature. So that that's all I'll say about that right now. But uh um that'll be interesting to get back to 
Yeah, I mean, it, it'll pop up here soon. Uh, so, yeah, so they're going to bury the cat at this burial ground. And Lewis doesn't know why, you know, they're like, why can we? he's like, why couldn't we have just buried it at the pet cemetery? Um, and I, I remember Lou, uh, Judd takes a seat, he busts out a cigarette and he starts smoking a cigarette and he tells Lewis, he's like, you got to dig it yourself. Um, he's like, we bury our own. You got to dig it. I can't help you. And I was going to say that became, that's like an important plot point too. Right. It's um, kind of like, that's part of the ritual that's yeah, taking exactly. place. It is. it is. And, uh, I remember he like swings this pickaxe and it hits, hits the top of the ground. And it's just like sparks. Like the ground is so hard and rocky and, um, they're, they're there until late into the night. Like he's, and he just digs this tiny little hole. Uh, right. But and and I, I I wrote this note down in the book. Um, burying the cat in the in the Micmac burial grounds is a favor for Lewis saving Judd's wife's life uh, after she had a heart attack. Really? Yeah. So there, I I remember in the book, it's like Halloween. And they're over there, you know. Judd or uh, Lewis brings his brings Ellie over there to get candy or whatever, and then Judd's wife has a a mild heart attack, um, and Lewis like jumps jumps into action because he's a doctor, and you know he like gives her everything she needs until you know to keep her alive until, um, the ambulance arrives, and he's like grateful for you know him saving, you know her life. And he, he repays he repays him by he he doesn't he doesn't tell him what's gonna happen you know but he repays him by bringing him to this burial ground to bury the cat and it almost and knowing the movie it almost seems like Lewis knows what's gonna happen but he doesn't want to say it right and I it, it it's interesting too because that is a major like kind of plot point difference well. Not even necessarily a difference, but just, you know, you had a major event like that that kind of motivated him to bring him there. Right. I think in the movie, they were really just kind of going off of, like, how Judd, like, he's kind of part of the family, you know? Right. It seemed, like, very casual. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't want Ellie to be sad, and so he, he, uh... He brings them to this place. Um, and another now, thing, oh, sorry. I was just I was just gonna talk about. Oh, you're them. good. <laughs> um, this was just in the book that I I thought was interesting when they're when they're talking about the loon. He's like, oh, this is just a loon. And in the book, um, instead of a rock quarry, instead of going past the quarry, they go past the swamp, and it's called like a. What is it called? It's called like Little God's Swamp or something like that. They call it. And um, uh, Judd Judd warns Lewis to be quiet, um, and not to look at anything. And if he hears, you know, if he hears whispering in the woods, not to answer or not to talk back. And he says, just keep your eyes uh, forward. Don't look down. Don't look around. Just keep going. Don't stop for anything. He and he he kind of explains it off by saying like, oh, 
He's like, yeah, it's, you know, you might see St. Elmo's fire, which is like, uh, I think, I think it, they call it ball lightning now, but it was like, you know, I don't know if you ever seen ball lightning before. Um, I think I might have seen it once when I was a kid, but it, it's lightning that does weird things. Like it kind of moves around really slowly instead of like quick flashes of lightning it does weird things and they form like, like circles and lines. And they, it's, it's really weird. Um, they used to call it. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah. It's a super, super rare phenomenon. They used to call it St. Elmo's fire, but I think it's just called ball lightning now. Um, and this is all, way off topic, but when I was a kid, <laughs> I remember waking up in a thunderstorm once and I was, I was little enough that I was sleeping in my mom's bed. And I saw a bolt of lightning come through the window, moving very, very slow. Like it was like very slowly. And it went into the stand up fan. And that was it. It was so weird. It was just and it was a complete line. Like it stretched from the window to the fan. That's incredible. That yeah, it was the only time I've ever seen anything like that happen. I don't know what it was. I'm assuming I've always just assumed it was this ball lightning. It makes sense, though, when you think of lightning being like energy. Right, right. Um, um, super random. Like this was just something random in the movie I wanted to throw out there. And <laughs> curious if you had any thoughts on her, but there's one character in the movie who. There's kind of a dramatic scene that takes place, even though she's probably only in the movie for like a minute. Briefly. And her name is like Missy. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's kind of like that their housekeeper. and Yeah, she's the one who like commits suicide. Right. And that, yeah. it's just kind of like, you know, going with the theme of like death and the fact yeah. that that kind of just happens in the midst of everything else that's going on right like, now. I didn't know like really how to take that. Like I didn't know exactly what that was, what that was about. I guess it was just to explain, you know, show everyone, you know, that about death, I guess. I thought it was just kind of, you know, just to kind of provide some contrast in the moment, just of like how permanent death is right yeah i mean i guess that's, that's really but not even that but you know they go to her funeral yeah and this is really fun everyone will appreciate stephen king he used to do this a oh, lot yeah. <laughs> he makes cameos in his yep. movies a lot i thought that he, was him yep no it was he plays <laughs> the minister yeah. at the cemetery yep for yeah. missy's funeral yeah and um and missy's funeral takes the place of judd's wife's funeral because she she ends up dying later on you know and, and they have to go to her funeral and oh and, so they kind of right they kind of just re yeah they repurpose missy i guess missy's character into because i guess that's kind of where at the point where ellie kind of accepts what death is exactly 
she's more or less at that point and something really interesting and this kind of goes into her character's abilities a little bit i wasn't sure if this was something you were going to bring up but when ellie gets back from chicago do you remember like one of the first things she asks her dad or like what she brings up oh yeah the dreams yes yeah yeah she she has such a specific dream like she just casually tells her dad i had a dream that you and mr crandall (laughs) did exactly what they did (laughs) and like in that moment it's funny like how casual he keeps it right and just acts like no that's crazy right um and even in the book, they don't really explain why she's dreaming all of a sudden, why her dreams are like, she's almost like prophesizing or not, not prophesizing, but like, uh, she's almost like psychic. Like she's, she's seeing what's, what, what is going on, um, through her dreams, you know? Exact. And that becomes, this is where there's another interesting tie in. I was going to bring this up earlier in the episode, but. Just, you know, while we're in kind of the Stephen King universe, um, The Shining and even the sequel to that, Dr. Sleep, I kind of feel like have a little bit of a tie-in. Yeah, those are movies that I have no context whatsoever. I I saw The Shining like around the same time that I saw Pet Cemetery for the first time, so... I don't remember anything. So like you, I guess you could more or less say Ellie's kind of ability to see things in dreams. That's explored a lot more in The Shining. Oh, so you think it's like the same thing? It could be. There's a little connection, but. That's interesting. I could be reading too much into it, but I know very little, but I know, I think I know more about Dr. What is it? Dr. What sleep or whatever. Yes. I think I know a little bit more about that one. Cause it, it recently, it recently came out as a movie. Um, right. But yeah, it doesn't he, he has some sort of ability. Exactly. And even you kind of referenced before, there is like an aspect of like, astral projection yep from it and like you know the ability to kind of manipulate things yeah in that realm yeah just interesting kind of stephen king plot points right yeah i mean that i do like that that idea the only problem is he doesn't say anywhere in the book or the movie why this is happening all of a sudden that's one thing that i i didn't that i confused me more than anything else that's fair too because that's kind of a big thing to just not address right it like almost makes it seem like it's just an everyday occurrence right yeah like if something would have happened while she was away and it like showed us for like a second like something happening like she got struck by lightning or she got hit in the head or some i don't know something to to make this happen but it he doesn't do anything like that so but yeah i mean having all these dreams and it continues 
up until the very end. Um, exactly. It's not like that goes away. It becomes a bigger part of the movie as right. we go. And... It does. Um... Oh, did you want to bring up? These are kind of like standalone scenes, I feel like, but I think around this time, too, this character really freaked me out when I first saw the movie. <laughs> What's your opinion on Zelda? Which one's that? That's Rachel's sister. Oh my god! Oh, <laughs> so fucking, so creepy. So I'll try not to swear. She's so <laughs> creepy. She is. Um, I know, it is like the, like, that's like what nightmares are made of. Right. I think the remake does a way better job of creeping you out about Zelda. Um, but even yes, with like the dumb waiter. And... Yeah. Like that is scary. Like I don't even like it has nothing, you know, it's not has nothing to do with ghosts or anything paranormal, but that is scary. Like <laughs> um, but yeah, she is she's creepy and and it this actually kind of relates to almost can my the other show almost canon in a way because uh ben he would always go rachel rachel and i didn't know why like i was like why are you doing that what is that from <laughs> and it was from pet cemetery and i i had no idea until oh my god i love that and yes because that and for anyone who's seen that, you could just, you can hear it in your head. You could picture it. Right. Yeah. She, she's, she's really creepy. Uh, and the book obviously gets into her a little more than the movie does, but Zelda is Rachel's sister who had, um, what was it? Spinal meningitis and, it caused her to be crippled and bedridden. Um, and they kind of kept her in the back room of, of Rachel's house when Rachel was a little kid. And, and Rachel was, uh, Zelda was Rachel's older sister by a few years, a couple years, three or four years. Um, and Rachel would have to like go in there and feed her and wash her and do all this stuff. And it, it kind of, uh, I think the book goes into it more about how Rachel is like frightened of death. And this is why Ra Rachel freaked out uh, with the whole pet cemetery thing when they went down there as a family, you know, with Judd in the beginning. And why she right. was upset because Rachel was taking care of Zelda one day when Zelda started choking and she choked to death. Um, and it just horrified Rachel and it still horrifies Rachel. And she's like, uh, you know, she's probably got some post-traumatic stress over it, and she, she's, she's, she's scared to it of it. She's scared of it to this day. You know, in the movie, exactly. And you could really tell. Just, I mean, that, and that plays into too, which is definitely a part of this, where, you know, her parents, as you'll come to see, their characters are very interesting to say the least right yeah especially they like i was gonna say they do not and i don't know if it mentioned it in the movie but in the book it meant i i heard it in the book i definitely heard it in the book uh rachel's father offered to pay lewis's uh 
tuition to college to be a doctor if he left Rachel, like, you know, broke up with her and never saw her again. And that is why Lewis hates the dad, Rachel's dad. Interesting. Because he's always like breaking out his checkbook to solve all his problems and, you know. And and the fact that they left Rachel alone uh, to take care of Zelda, who clearly should have been, you know, probably in a hospital. And I mean, even aside from that, what I always thought about in that moment, it's like, not only were they making her take care of her, it's like, just the, con- it, it just kind of shows how they were as people, just. Right. Basically, the neglect. Yeah, I mean, like, Rachel calls she... Rachel calls that her, you know, their dirty little secret, or like, yes, like in the back room, you know. Yeah, it's just a truly. I mean, another thing to love about the movie is just kind of all the additional like backstories we get for every character we are introduced to, and even the flashbacks you know, to the past, just, they really add to the movies so much. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah, like, you see uh, uh, Zelda and her backs, like, like all, she's all, like, like, uh, hunched over, and, like, her skin is so tight, and you can see her, her, like, her shoulder blades and her ribs are sticking out. She, she looks like a monster. Yes. <laughs> Which is scary. I mean, it's scary, because that's, like, it's real like that happens to people you know that's why we right. all get meningitis shots now it's like uh it's not something that you know you know but when you go to get like your school shots and stuff for school uh i think it's mostly for kids who go to college uh it's like an automatic you automatically get one you know yes yep Or even, I mean, just a tie-in going back to the first episode I did with you, you know, the reason why there's so many abandoned um, tuberculosis, that's how asylums in a big way really started. They were just hospitals to house everybody that had TB at the time. Right, right. Yeah, TB was, that's a, we could, geez, we could go off forever with tv tv is is crazy and you, i know there could be like so many side series we do <laughs> my wife worked with somebody who had tuberculosis but they were apparently they're not even though they had it they weren't contagious and it's kind of like dormant in their system but like you know it's still out it's still out there but i think we all vaccinated against it but which is only a recent thing, really, you know? Right. I mean, even, I always tell people, when I was little, I had chicken pox. Mm. You know, I think it wasn't until like 96 or 7 that everybody started getting the vaccine for that. Right. Yeah, I had chicken pox too. My wife did not. Um, really? Yeah, and actually, this is way off topic, but last year or it was either last year or the year before she got super super sick uh in boston we were at the hospital because my kids got 
one of my sons has some medical issues and we, we bring him back and forth to Boston Children's Hospital. And we were staying down there, right? Like staying at the hospital in a hotel room. Uh, and then oh, she just got like sick all of a sudden, like really, really, really sick. Like we had to bring, call an ambulance to the, to the, to the hotel. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. And she had like this rash all over her body. It looked like chicken pox sort of, right? Um, and, and ever since I met her, it's always been like, I, you know, I, I don't actually know if I ever had chicken pox. You know, my gram says I had chicken pox. My mom says I didn't. I don't know. Um, she ended up getting this thing called Fifth's disease. And it, it, it's a, it's like a, like a virus that people who don't get chicken pox can get as adults. And it, she was like, so, so sick for, for weeks. Are you, oh my God. Yeah. Like in that first it's crazy was, what's out there. And this was when COVID first started and the, and the, the EMTs that came up, they were like, oh, it's just COVID. <laughs> But in, oh my god! Yeah, she was hospitalized at Dartmouth for like a week, and like they were given, they didn't know what it was forever, and they were just throwing everything they had at her, like all these different antibiotics, and it was, she had to meet with like um, like the infectious disease people, they didn't know what it was, and they did all sorts of spinal taps on her to try and figure out what was going on, and it was it was scary for a while, it like she was like paralyzed from the waist down for a few days, and. yeah it was it was bad that's like always been my worst fear is having something that like is super rare where like nobody knows what it is and right and and it was something it was something so stupid where all they had to do was like they it was something they overlooked you know because they're like oh it can't be that you know right whereas if they just found it from the get-go yeah but i mean it was it was scary. <laughs> I had to stay down in Boston and oh, hold on, I just clicked something. Oh, no problem. My uh, the last interview I did, my computer and and his computer randomly searched something we were talking about. It was super weird, but uh, really, yeah, but uh, but yeah, it was it was scary. So, so Zelda, you know, there's it, it stuff like that can still happen today. Luckily. They they figured it out with my wife and um she always gets like these weird things. Like she had uh Bell's palsy and all sorts of weird stuff that she shouldn't happen. And yet she doesn't want to get an updated COVID shot. Like Oh no. I know. She's like one of the only people who probably needs it. <laughs> but uh anyway, enough about that. <laughs> Back to Pet Cemetery. <laughs> yeah. So so Zelda. Uh, the dirty secret uh yeah rachel she's stuck at home with zelda and zelda chokes to death and it horrifies rachel for the rest of her life um but i think you know this is kind of like and this is kind of also right around where church comes back right it is yeah yeah so church the cat um i forget exactly what they were i think it was like raking leaves uh, and he goes into the, the garage and he turns the corner and church is right, like right there in his face and kind of like, like he goes like, wow, and he like scratches at him, you know? Yes. He's uh, like trying to figure out if he's himself and. Right. 
gets that like big scratch across his face. Oh yeah, yeah, he does get scratched. Yeah. Um and and I talked about how he had to peel church up from from the frosted grass and uh that that kind of comes back because Lewis is convinced that church wasn't dead when they buried him and um somehow he dug his way out of the ground and found his way home but he was never dead to begin with you know even though yes. had to peel him back out of the grass and Judd Judd tells him he's like he's like he was stone cold like he was frozen to the grass like he was dead because Judd obviously knows what's going on but he still hasn't told Lois or uh Lewis or whatever his name is is it, is it Lois or Lewis I know. I always thought it was Lewis. Yeah. Okay. It's probably Lewis. I think it's spelt kind of. It's not spelt like you'd expect it to be, though. No, it's not. It's not. Um. But yeah. So. So I guess this is where I'm gonna bring up, what is going on beyond the deadfall, um, in the movie doesn't. I'll, I'll try to be as quick as I can so we can get through this. But I, to me, this is one of the, this is what makes this story so interesting. Um, and it's because they doesn't really get into it in the book, in the movie, except for that deleted scene, which comes up towards the end. But Lewis kind of, he goes over and he asks Judd what's going on. You know, like this is, this is church. He was dead. We buried him. You know, what's going on? What aren't you telling me? Something like that. I'm pretty sure he does something like that, right? Yes. And this is where he also kind of brings up the concept for the first time. Has anybody ever buried a person out there? Oh, yeah. And he freaks out. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll, I'll actually, I'm going to wait until to bring up the whole, the whole thing that I want to talk about until it until the deleted scene part, because I think it'll go best with that. But uh, all right, yeah, that's probably good. But yeah, so he's raking leaves, and and church comes back. Um, let's see. Um, it's mentioned several time times that uh, how stinky church is. He's really stinky now, you know. And they 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 give him like baths and. Um, right he's he, he's it like, becomes he, evident he's not the same right yeah he's like really sluggish he moves around he's like really slow and he's all sluggish and um his eyes are like glowing gold now um and he's he's definitely more vicious of an animal than he was um you know previously and this is so this is when he goes over to Judd and he asks him what's going on. And Judd explains that as a boy, he revived his pet dog. Um, and this is kind of like a flashback scene. Uh, right. And um, he revives his pet dog. And I know in the beginning when they went to the pet cemetery, he, Judd points out like, oh, that's my dog Spot's grave and blah, blah, blah. And then um, I forget exactly what, what they were talking about. There's this point in the movie where where Lewis realizes that these dates um, 
that Judd is talking about aren't matching up. So he, he's kind of like asking him what's going on, I guess. And that's when he, he explains that he had buried his dog at the pet cemetery and that it had come back to life. Um, and this is the flashback scene where his, his Judd's mom is like hanging clothes on the clothesline. And um, she's she's like, she's like, Judd, get out here. He's like, your dog's back and he stinks of the ground you buried him in or something like that. Um, right. And you could just see the look on his face at that point. He's terrified. Yeah, he is. He is terrified. And the dog's like snarling and. Um, uh, and I, I guess the difference between the movie and the book is when Judd buries the dog and he comes back, the dog's not mean. It's just, you know, different. Right. But in the movie, it seems like when the dog comes back, he's really mean because he's like snarling at the mom. And or I guess in the book, he does say that the dog backed his mom into a corner and his mom was really scared. And um, but but yeah, so Judd's like Judd tells Lewis that, you know, um, there's something in the ground that is causing these these animals to come back to life. And yeah, this is when Lewis asks if a person at this is when Lewis asks if a person has ever been buried there. And this is where, you know, initially, you know, his reaction. Yeah, he like smells like a beer and stuff. And he's like, he's like, oh, my God, why would you ever think that? Obviously, no one's ever done anything like that. Right. Like he gives it away while also <laughs> acting like it could never happen in a million years. Right. Right. Um, which obviously, if there's a place that you can bury your animal and it comes back to life, somebody has tried to bring back a person. Like, exactly. There's no way nobody would have came to that conclusion and not tried it. Um, and so this was the flash scene where where the housekeeper, I forget what her name was, commits suicide. Yes, this is where um Missy commits suicide. Yep. And it's kind of just a really quick scene the way they show it. Right. It takes place in like the basement. And I couldn't tell if it was like an accident or not. It almost looked like she it almost looked like it was something that she had done all the time like she goes down there and debates it but never actually does it but this time she accidentally slips and falls that's how i almost read the scene hmm you know i could definitely see that cuz she cuz it, it did mention earlier on in the in the movie of how she's got like these stomach pains and they're not going away and you know, she writes something like she write in her suicide note, something about stomach cancer and and stuff like that. And she gets up on the table and then you can like see it in her face. It's almost like she slips on the chair and accidentally kicks it out. Um, And she's not able to like stop herself and she chokes, you know, she's she has a noose around her neck and she hangs herself. Right, no, I could definitely see it like that. Yeah, and obviously this is, you know, the family's back from Chicago and everything by now. Um, and Ellie and, and Judd and Lewis, they all go to the funeral. Um, Rachel's not going because she, she's so afraid 
of deaths and funerals and stuff like that. She she doesn't want anything to do with it. Um, and I think the next major scene is the picnic in the yard with the with the kite. Yes, and def and this is obviously one of the probably most dramatic scene in the whole movie. Mm. And this is a recreation of something that happened to Stephen King himself. When when I had mentioned at the beginning of the the show how he had lived at the house that was just like this house and the kid, you know, the road and the trucks. This had actually happened to him. Uh, and instead of his kid running out into the road, his kid fell before he reached the road. So, Oh, my God. Yeah. I know. That's crazy to think, though, that that actually happened. Yeah. I mean, I think this is why he said it was his most scariest novel. So, yeah, they're having a family picnic, you know, everything's all nice and happy and and it's sunny and, you know, winter's gone and the grass is green and there's wildflowers. It's just a really nice scene. Um, it really is. And they're having a picnic and they're flying a kite. And um, uh, Lewis is, is helping his we haven't really talked about Gage up to this point, but they have a son named Gage. Um and he's, you know, he's like, he's like a little kid. I don't know how old, probably like, he's probably like two years old, maybe. I was going to say two, I'd say. Yeah. And this was actually something. So I had, I had mentioned how I had read the book, listened to the book on Audible, right? Um, right? I skipped this part. I had to skip this part completely. I have a son whose gauge is age. And it was just like, I do not, this is, this is scary. This is a nightmare. What happens? Um. I couldn't even imagine having to to go through something like this, but they I was gonna awful. say it's an awful like scene just yeah with what happened to him. And if I knew of a place like the Micmac burial ground, I would do exactly what <laughs> what Lewis did. Um I just wanna throw that out there. But uh but yeah, so completely, fight, and I could totally see that, right? Um, That's why I think you could definitely relate to like the choice his character makes. Yeah, definitely, I definitely can. Um, but yeah, so they're flying the kite, and then I think Lewis kind of gets distracted, and he he drops the the spool, and little Gage is chasing the spool because he wants to to fly the kite some more and he runs out in the road and he gets hit by a truck and killed one of those one of those fertilizer trucks um and it just happens so fast yeah like like they're all running after him uh and lewis like falls and he can't reach him in time and Um, and it just kind of like it kind of just repeats a few times him just collapsing and going no yeah he's like no yeah and i and i obviously was glad like they don't yeah they even show what happened 
but they you instantly know what happened because it shows his little shoe goes flying in the air. He's got that little red shoe and it goes like whoosh. Exactly. It's like covered in blood. <laughs> um So yeah. Uh I forget exactly what happened if what happens in between this part and the funeral, but they have a funeral for Gage. Um and and Rachel's parents come up. And, and this scene is a very dramatic scene. Yeah, like Rachel's father is like yelling at Lewis. He's like, Where were you? Where were you? This is all your fault. And they get in a fight right in the funeral. In the middle of the funeral. Yeah. And they knock the the casket off and little gauge pops out of it and it, oh my god it make bad situation even worse it it's like crazy what's taking place right um everyone is just in shock yeah definitely especially rachel which you know it it doesn't really go go over it in the movie but this she she has to go to this funeral like you know, it's her son's funeral. Right. Um, I don't know if it's that night or like maybe like the next night, but Judd is he's anticipating that Lewis is going to bury his son in the Micmac burial ground, uh, even though Lewis denies it. Um, and Judd also believes that introducing Lewis to the ritual ground, to the burial ground, um, kind of like, kind of like awoke the, 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 the force within the, you know, the ground. I don't, I don't know. Um, and it, it somehow it caused Gage's death. Exactly. And this is where we even see like Victor Pascal's character like reappearing. Yeah, I, I know I definitely know he comes up towards the end um with Ellie uh and Rachel, but which is kind of funny a little bit actually. Um but I don't remember him popping up until then. Until then. Right, yeah, no, I'm getting a little ahead there. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. I say I don't remember that, but I I also don't remember I don't really remember this part. I try not to watch this part. No, I don't blame you. But uh But yeah, so Judd ends up he tells Lewis the story cuz Lewis had asked him, you know, was there ever been a person buried there and and Judd's like, "No, of course not. Never. No one would ever do that." Um And then And this is going to actually tie in you said with the new series they're making. I believe gonna... so. It looks like it. It looks like it. Um, Yeah, so Judd tells Lewis the story of a local man named Bill Baderman who buried his young son, son his young, his young son, Timmy, uh, who was killed in World War Two in, in, uh, I think it was somewhere somewhere in Italy. Um 
and he buried Timmy in the Micmac burial ground. And then uh, Judd tells Lewis that Timmy returned as almost like an evil person. You know, he wasn't, he was not the same Timmy. Uh, and Judd, he, he makes note that there, there was only ever one animal that had been buried in the Micmac burial ground that was ever, could have ever been considered evil or bad. All the other animals that Judd knew about were just, you know, like slow or, you know, slightly different. Uh, but he says that Timmy was definitely evil. Um, and that he terrified the townsfolk. And, and the way he's portrayed, it's almost like a demonic zombie. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah, because there is a whole flashback scene, right? Yes, yep. Yeah. Um, and that flashback scene is very dramatic, too, near the end, because his dad continues to defend him right. yeah. up until the end, yep. even when that meant burning to death in the house because the town decided he needed to die. Right. And they basically yep. gassed the house and light it on fire. Yeah. Um, which Judd was a part of. He was a part of that group. And this is this is why I think we're, we'll see him as a young, you know, a younger Judd in in that uh, Bloodlines show, because he's part of the group that goes to confront this this Bill Baderman guy about Timmy and right. Um. Uh. And Judd, he he tells, because in 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 the book, it's slightly different than. Than the than the movie in the book, um, uh, Timmy Baderman comes back as something else. It's like something is acting through him, and and this something knows things, knows secrets, and like no, you know, just knows things that nobody should know. Um, and when Judd and his friends go to confront Bill about burying Timmy in the in the the Micmac burial ground, uh, Timmy kind of confronts them and tells them like all these, these secrets and these dirty secrets that, that Timmy knows about all the people in the group. Um, and it definitely makes you believe that there's something, whatever, whatever is powering the Micmac burial ground is like acting through, you know, Timmy now. Not it, it didn't so much through the animals, but it is through the people that are buried there. Wow, that that is definitely an interesting plot point. Yeah, like I'm I'm real excited to see this this uh like like you bringing up this movie and wanting to do this movie couldn't have come at a better time. Like <laughs> I'm really... I know it really is perfect timing. Right. Um, but yeah, so Judd insists that the burial ground is evil and Lewis must not bury his son there. Uh, and he says sometimes dead is better. And that's definitely like the popular tagline you always think of. 
like when you see like if you're thinking of like the movie cover right and you get that demonic look up top you see the caption sometimes dead is better yeah like i just i tried to get tried to find a quote from judd earlier on in the in the show because i wanted to play him saying like the ground sour or whatever and the only ones that are out there is him saying dead sometimes dead is better yep (laughs) he has to use his you have to say it in his main accent his his main accent (laughs) it's almost so bad you can't even hear what he's saying (laughs) i know but uh so after the funeral oh sorry oh you're good I was just going to say, after the funeral, Rachel and Ellie leave for Chicago while Lewis remains home. Um, and he kind of he kind of tricks them into leaving. And he's going to he's like, I got to take care of a couple things and I'll meet you in Chicago. He's like, you need to be with your family. Uh, they're going to help, you know, they'll help you through this. And um, exactly like he knows he needs to get them. Yeah. Away. Right. And this is when uh, I remember Pascal returning around this part at some point. Because he knows he he just knows what he's about to do. Right. right. Um, and yeah, so so Lewis, he he exhumes his son's body. And, th- and this happens real fast, too, because it does because he want he. I don't know if it explains it in the movie in the movie, but in the book he wants to get his son in the ground as fast as possible. Lewis believes Timmy Baderman was evil because he didn't get buried in the ground until five days after he died. So he wants to get his son in the ground in the burial ground as fast as he possibly can. Right. And it and it shows this like dramatic scene too where he's in the cemetery. You see a quick view of like a cop car going oh, by. Yeah, yeah. He, he ducks behind a tombstone. Yeah. Yep. Um. And there was a part that uh, that's sad, and it's something oh, like it's it's just it's hard. It it really is. It's hard. Like I, I would do the exact. Oh man, I don't even. I I know I wouldn't want to. But I like my two year old Fen, my little Fen is just like if i i would dig him up and i would i would just hold them too like it's so sad but he just like holds him i could totally see that though oh my god it's so sad i almost want to cry about it right now (laughs) like it's oh even just thinking about it bring tears to my eyes it's so sad he he just he, he he digs his son up and he just holds him um and no, I know it's. And then he 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 you know he has to bring him home. He has to bring him back, back to his house so he can get to the, the the Micmac burial burial ground. And at this point, I think Ellie is having she's either having dreams. I think she had a dream on the airplane. Um, and Pascal is like telling her, um, through the dream. That her dad's doing some, you know, something's going on. You, you know, you need to get back home. You need to stop him. And uh, but Ellie, you know, Ellie, I think uh, 
uh, Rachel thinks Pascal is like a, a an imaginary friend or something. Right, and this, and and this is what really interested me though about Victor Pascal's character, where the way he's like now communicating through Ellie, it kind of makes you wonder the realm of his powers, like who he could communicate to now that he's, you know, tried getting through to Lois, that isn't working. Right. Now he's going through his daughter. Right. And it's working, obviously. Um, right. It and, is. and yeah, Rachel thinks he's like an imaginary friend or something, but but she she feels like the name is familiar. And uh it takes her a little while, but um Oh, I have it right here in my notes. It's in Chicago. When they get to Chicago, Pascal appears to Ellie in a dream and warns her that Lewis is about to do something terrible. Uh, Rachel is unnerved by hearing the jogger's name, uh, but can only reach Judd when she calls, uh, who tells her Lewis is not home. And he knows. I could just see him when he looks out from yeah. his porch and he knows what's happening. Right. And he he makes it a point he's going to stay up all night. He's going to wait for Lewis to return home. Um and at the same time uh Rachel decides to she needs to return to Maine. She needs to find out, you know, she's going to uh help Lewis, like she's worried about Lewis and I give her I give her even though I know it's just a movie or, or, you know, whatever, but I give her mad credit for, you know, her son had just died. Uh, but she kind of like puts that aside because now she wants to save her husband, you know, like she's not like. Right. It, it shows kind of the instinct that she has, the fact that she just knows there's something she has to go home for. Right. Um, that's worth, you know leaving her daughter and parents behind. Yeah. And and I think Judd tries to stop her at one point because he knows what's happening and she he uh just in case Lewis is able to to do it uh he doesn't want her there to see, you know, her son come back to life or whatever. Right, like he knows how wrong it can go pretty right. quickly. Yeah. And I believe this is the, the, the infamous deleted scene part. You know, I wasn't able to. I watched the deleted yeah. scene somewhere. I couldn't find it again. But it it's it's the deleted scene is the part where, uh, it shows Lewis bringing his son from you know, past the deadfall to the Mickback burial ground, and there's a part in it where he he finally comes face to face with what is giving the land the power to do this and it's a wendigo which is a a uh and Stephen King took uh writer's liberty on the 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 lore of the wendigo because the wendigo in nowhere in any of the the native american or first nations lore does the wendigo have the power to do this but but um he sees the Wendigo and it's like 
60 feet tall. It's towering over the forest. It's knocking over the trees as it's walking. Um, and in in Algonquin lore, uh, which would include the Micmacs, you know, all these Algonquin speaking tribes, the right. Wendigo is, it can be this tall. It it, it just grows for it forever grows every time it consumes a person it gets bigger and it you know with all these people that are buried in the micmac burial ground it's like this giant now and it's huge and it's crashing through the forest and it's using its power to um you know and i love like envisioning that too right like just picturing yeah i mean i i I really wish that scene didn't get deleted. I know. I mean, I, I, I wish I could remember where I saw it. I, I know it was on YouTube somewhere, but I, I couldn't find it again. But yeah, he's like, he's like, he's in awe of this thing. He's so, he's afraid of it, obviously. Um, but it, it knows what he's doing. So it lets him go, you know, like it, it knows he's going to bury that kid in the ground. Uh, so it, it lets him do it, you know. Um, exactly it but this is it i got some i got some history on the area from the book uh that i wanted to bring up now so um it's not talked about in the movie but but it is the wendigo and it's the wendigo's magic uh within this burial ground and it's in in the book it talks about the micmacs abandoning the area around the 1820s when it's rumored that a Wendigo had soured the land. And this would be, this would have been before the white settlers had came, you know, had come to Ludlow. Um, uh, oh, what? Hmm. Yeah. So there was like a time period. So the Micmacs were there and uh, this Wendigo comes and they're realizing that their burial ground is now some sort of weird, you know, like zombie zone and it freaks them out. So they leave. Um, and it goes on to say that truck drivers, they drive so fast through this, you know, past their house because they they report an odd sensation to speed up while passing the area of the burial ground which is the Wendigo, you know, influencing them. The The whole Wendigo story in itself is so fascinating to me. It's just, and obviously the Wendigo from Pet Cemetery is way different than the actual lore of the Wendigo. Like in actual Agunquin lore, the Wendigo is like a creature that is summoned when someone like is forced to cannibalize another for one reason or, or another. Or another. Um, and it's it's really only talked about in the Algonquin speaking uh, family group. Um, so like tribes from, you know, out west or down south, even like tribes in western Canada, like on the west coast. This this isn't something that that they ever talk about, um, but it's got something to do with with cannibalism and like the the um the despair of coldness you know of of the cold winters and it's like a tra it's attracted to this despair people feel and it's 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 an interesting creature because it's 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 almost like a curse 
Like if you get bit by the Wendigo, then you turn into a Wendigo. It's kind of like, you know, almost like a werewolf curse, you know? It really is. I... It's definitely one it that I want to get a lot more familiar with, too. Yeah. Well, I did a whole episode on the Wendigo. <laughs> you should check it out. <laughs> I know. I should have already. <laughs> it was... uh. There was another show I was really into called um, Yellow Jackets. Have you ever heard of it? I have, yes. Yeah, so they they like crash in the woods. It's a soccer team. They crash in the woods and they have to survive out there. And there's some sort of like mysterious force that's that's kind of influencing them. Uh, and it's, There's been two seasons so far, and it doesn't tell you what this force is, uh, but the show involves cannibalism. And I, I made the point that it's a Wendigo, you know, there's a Wendigo out there with them. Um, so I kind of, in the episode, I went over what a Wendigo is, the history of the Wendigo and how it connects to, or how Yellow Jackets connects to the Wendigo. But yeah, anyway, uh, Rachel, she, she gets on all these airplanes. She gets back to Maine. Um, she's not able to fly all the way back to you know, as close as she can get. So she has to rent a car um, and she's speeding home when one of her car tires pops and she crashes into a ditch. And... And literally ends up having to get a ride. Yeah, from one of the trucks uh, from the company that killed their kid. Exactly. And... And the I don't know if you noticed this, but the number on the truck is six six six. Oh, I didn't catch that. That is cool. Yeah. And uh, Pascal's with her, and he's like, you know, it's trying to stop you. Don't let it stop you. It's using its powers to do this. Um. And Lewis, this is all kind of going on at the same time. Lewis is able to bury Gage in the cemetery. And he goes home, you know, he goes back home. Um, oh, actually, the deleted scene either happens when he's bringing Gage to the cemetery or when he's coming back. But there is actually a part in the movie when they're crossing the the quarry where there's like a something pops out of the water. I don't I didn't I, I couldn't. That was a weird part. Do you remember that at all? I do. And I'm trying to think of what that actually would be. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm assuming it was had something to do. I should have watched that part more carefully, but he he was like he was like it's just it's just our imagination. It's just our imagination. It's trying to stop us or something like that. I don't know, but he's able to bury Gage. Um, and the, you like see Gage's little. And he, he goes home or whatever, you know, goes to bed because he knows Gage is going to come back at some point. And, and you see Gage's little hand come, like, popping out of the ground. Right. Um, and, and it's funny because that kind of, just seeing that one visual, though, makes you jump, like, right to zombie in nature. <laughs> yeah. Um. And so that night, Gage returns home and he steals a scalpel 
you know, from from Lewis's doctor bag. I don't know what they're called. Bag of, of doctor goods. And uh, he goes to Judd's house where he starts playing games with Judd. And this is one of, like, the really brutal scenes in the movie for mm. such, like, a likable character. Right. Yes, it was very upsetting that, that Judd had to die. But... As any good horror movie, Judd has to die. And, exactly. <laughs> um, Gage is like playing hide and go seek. He's like, come find me. <laughs> and uh, so Judd and Judd knows he's like, he's like, this isn't Gage. I'm going to kill this, this, this little kid. And I forget what he grabs, but he grabs some sort of, of weapon. And he's like, come on, Gage. Let's come on out. Where are you? And like he, you you know, like the second he sees Gage, he's just gonna beat him with whatever he has. Um, and the fact that he takes that approach, like you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, like he knows that it's evil and needs to right. be destroyed. Yeah. Uh, and this is when when Gage like pops out from under the bed and cuts Judd's heel like his achilles tendon <laughs> which causes him to fall over and he's like screaming in pain and little gage it's jumps so out from under the bed right and he like slashes his face open or something and then he like bites his throat off i was gonna say it gets intense pretty quick with the way yeah. he attacks it yeah and that's totally like the wendigo like it's like cannibal time. I'm gonna eat your face, and he he like totally bites his throat off. Yes, yeah, see, now when you point that out, I totally like see it differently now with the way his character. Yeah, like that's yeah that's that's the way very cannibal. Yeah, right there. Um, at some point soon, I don't know. I think in the in the book, it's like later that morning uh but i think it's nighttime rachel she gets dropped off outside of her house you know and i like this part because pascal he's sitting in the the passenger seat of the truck and he's like this is as far as i can go and he, he's like talking to rachel but rachel can't hear him um but she's like bye i'll see you later thanks for the ride and he's like oh yeah no problem <laughs> even, even though she can't hear him I know that scene was funny. Uh and then so Yeah. I forget exactly I forget exactly what she says, but he plays it off like real cool. It makes his character likable. Yeah. Definitely. And I got real like um American Werewolf in London vibes from Pascal Ooh. because cause I think in that movie, American Werewolf in London, the the buddy that gets killed by the werewolf like appears kind of kind of like a ghost throughout the movie. I could totally see that. Yeah, that's what I every time I saw Pascal, that's what I saw was was that that other dude who got attacked by the werewolf. But uh but yeah, Rachel is lured into Judd's house instead of going to her own house um by by child's laughter. And and she hears it. Um and I think she like thinks it's Gage. Like she like recognizes the laughter, you know? 
And you like wonder too, the like, does she totally know what exactly took place at this point? Right, right. And just like every other horror movie, there's this part where she walks into the house and you hear this real creepy groaning going on from upstairs. And she's like, Judd, is that you? Are you up there? Like, like, get out of there. What are you doing? <laughs> Don't listen. You hear that creepy groaning sound. Just leave. Like, right. <laughs> but but she has to go and investigate. And this is where she sees the specter of her dead sister, Zelda, which is like, Rachel, I told you I'd get you. <laughs> and she like creepily like like runs over to her. She's like, <laughs> I know that scene always gets me, too. Yeah. Um, and then she kind of turns into Gage, who this this was really weird, and and I didn't know how to take this. I almost wanted to laugh. Um, it's Gage, right? Yep. And he's dressed up like I don't even know what he's dressed up like, like a like a a circus ringleader or something. He's got like a cane and like a top hat on. And it's just like walking over to her, like, like, like I'm king shit. You know, I don't know. It was really weird. He had nice shiny shoes on. I don't oh, know. I know it was, it was very bizarre, but just the it way was he bizarre. was. Yeah, but I did like it. It, it was something about it where it was just like, like, I don't know. There's something about it that that hypnotizes you. It really does. Um, and in shock and disbelief, Rachel reaches down to hug her son. Um, and we don't really know what happens for at least a few more minutes. Uh, Lewis wakes up, notices Gage's muddy footprints in the house. Um, and he gets excited. He's like, yes, he's back. Yay. And then he realizes, uh, that the scalpel is missing from his doctor bag and then he's like oh shit what did i do that's his like realization moment right and in the book he uh lewis he knows that gage can come back evil um which is why he gives himself a several days he's gonna he wants to bring gage back to life and then he's gonna use you know he told rachel he'd be there in like four days or whatever he's gonna bring him back to life and then he's gonna use the you know the couple days that he has to to gauge whether gauge is is okay or not, you know, and if he's not, he's gonna kill him. So th that's his plan. Um, right. So at least it shows well that he knows what he has to do ultimately. Right. And this is where he's like walking around the house, and he receives a phone call from uh, Rachel's parents, the dad, and. The dad says how Ellie had a bad dream and he needs to talk to Rachel. And Lewis is like, goes like, I don't know. He's, he's acting real suspicious. Like you definitely know. Um, like they're, they're like the way he's talking to them on the phone right now, they're going to be like, yeah, he definitely killed Rachel. <laughs> At least that's what they're going to think. Exactly. There wouldn't really be any way he'd get out of that. Right. Um, and then he hangs up and he receives another phone call 
And he answers it again. And he's like, I can't talk right now. And it turns out to be Gage. Um, and he tells he tells Lewis that he played with Judd and Mommy. And um, Lewis yells out, he's like, what did you do? Uh, so so he's I think he 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 he's assuming that they're dead. Like Gage killed them. He knows his son is evil now. And he fills three syringes with morphine and heads over to Judd's house. And this leads to something really interesting. Like, is it interesting because these people that are already dead are dying of an overdose again? <laughs> like, he's not shooting them, he... like, destroying their bodies. He's he's using morphine to kill them in an overdose. Like, they're already dead. Like, I don't, I don't see how this would work. <laughs> I was going to say it was kind of almost playing against the new rules. Right, right, yeah. But trying to use, like, old logic with them. And I mean, Stephen King's a smart man. Like he he's written and wrote enough books. Um, you know, you would think that he would know not to overlook something this simple. And even in the book, he uses the the syringes of morphine to to kill. You know, the cat to kill Church because he kills Church. He captures Church outside Judd's house, and he injects Church with the morphine. Um, but you would think this wouldn't be a viable way to to kill someone who's already dead. Like, you know, but uh, it works. Church dies again. Poor, poor church. Yep. This time for good. <laughs> yeah. Or and, not. And uh, he enters Judd's house. It's like it looks really weird, right? It It's like all like like everything's like rotting and. And it's all I don't know. It looks really weird. And the only thing I could I could think of was that Judd's house has gone sour. You know, I know that is a really good way of seeing it. But then it was like it was all like a vision, I guess, because it kind of went back to normal. There's definitely a lot of supernatural elements at play. Yeah, like it was some sort of spell or something, which which makes me think of. Like I I am so on this this kick of like this ancient earth magic and these fey beings and like I'm telling you man I've I've gone off the deep end and uh this it, makes this this just totally reminds me of like fey magic they're using fey you know this ancient earth magic to bring these these dead people back to life and you know the these they're using fey magic to to kind of put a glamour over over uh Lewis's eyes to make him see like this this sour house and then it's all gone and everything's back to normal and Lewis goes upstairs and he finds Judd's body on the ground um I think he like hears Gage laughing or something and he or something something happens and he's walking down the hall and Rachel's body falls through the attic door she's hanging with a, a you know a noose around her neck um, and Gage jumps down, jump launches himself out of the out of the attic onto Lewis, uh, and they kind of wrestle around a little bit. And this this is like eighties movie magic at its best. It really is, <laughs> or maybe it's worse. Like uh, uh, Lewis is like you. You can clearly tell that this is a doll, and he's just like ah. Um, but 
he ends up getting Gage off of him and he injects Gage with the morphine. Gage is like, oh, no fair. And then he kind of like stumbles around like he starts, you know, the drug starts to kick in. And uh, for a second, for a second, it's like the old Gage again, you know. It is. I was going to say that scene always got to me. Yeah. The way his personality just changed right at the end. Yeah. It was like the Wendigo left him and it was Gage underneath there after all. Like like maybe they could have, he could have gotten his son back somehow if he had worked hard enough to get rid of the Wendigo. I don't know. But, but, uh, but yeah, Gage, he dies again and lewis burns the house down he lights his lights judge how judd's house on fire uh after dragging rachel's body out of it so he's carrying rachel's body toward you know towards the the micmac burial ground and this is when pascal appears one more time this scene to me is just like amazing like final showing of Pascal, just kind of him making like that final plea. Right. He's like, he's like, you're going to make it worse. I couldn't tell if Lewis was talking to him or, or just talking to himself. And that's fair. I mean, you really don't know at that point. Cause if he was talking to him and you would almost think that he was because he had talked to him before. Uh, that would make him and Ellie the only two that were able to ever see him. Right. It's not not a big I, deal or anything, but I know I just find it interesting too, though. Just the fact that even though it's a character that's essentially a ghost, he did have like that dialogue where even when he's in the middle of doing something huge like that he still has like a split second where he's presented like an option to still turn back. Right. But he's, he's been driven crazy with grief. Uh, and he's like, no, I'll get her in the ground uh, quicker this time. And it'll be different. Exactly. And he carries Rachel off. Um, I don't I can't remember if we actually see him burying her or not, but I remember seeing him at the kitchen table uh, and then the clock strikes like, I don't know, 12 or whatever. And Rachel comes walking through the kitchen door um, and she puts her hand on his shoulder and they like hug and then she grabs a knife from the counter where Lewis can't see him, see her doing it. Uh, and the movie ends with Lewis screaming. And that scene is just so dramatic, too, because <laughs> it's intense. You just see how, what she looks like up close for a split second. Right. And that, that was something that I was like, why does she look like that? She looked like Pascal. Like, she didn't get hit by a car. She, uh, uh, you know. Right, I know. Didn't oh. you find that interesting? Yeah, she she looked rot like she had rotted in the ground, which I guess would be the Wendigo, you know. Exactly. Maybe that's the only way 
it just kind of eats their body up as they, as, you know, as they come back. I don't know. I just, I wish, I just so wish that he would have went into what is going on more. Cause even in the book, like I kind of pieced most of the Wendigo stuff together. He really only mentions the Wendigo that one time where he says, uh, there was a rumor that a Wendigo came by and soured the land and the Micmac, they left, you know, they abandoned the area. Like that's the only time it ever talks about the Wendigo, except for when he sees the giant creature in the woods, like that happens in the book and in the, you know, the deleted scene. Um, And the only other time there's any hint that there's some sort of mysterious being that is doing this is when Timmy Baderman comes back and he's talking, you know, he knows all these secrets and he's like, something is, is talking through him, but that's not in the movie. You wouldn't have seen that. So it's right. Like, so even without that context either. Yeah. So it, it, it's really like, it's just, you know, it's a lot, it, it's a lot. And it, it, I guess half the fun is making your own story up, I guess, but Right, I know. I just love how much there is to really go into, like, beyond the movie. Right. Like, I want to know more about... Sorry. Oh, no. I was just going to say, I want to know more about the Pet Cemetery uh, or the Micmac Burial Grounds than I want to know about uh, Pennywise or its past like i want to know more about the pet cemetery i don't care about pennywise i want to know more about the pet cemetery a hundred percent like i feel like we got we pretty much got its background like he's you know he's like a cosmic alien being who crash landed on earth okay that's cool but tell me about the pet cemetery <laughs> but yeah that's the movie that's pet cemetery uh stephen king I hold I guess I should have we should have mentioned who who directed it. Um I'm not sure. Oh who... yes. The director was Mary Lambert. Right. Okay. I do remember that. And do you do you have anything on like a box office or anything? Like um how, was it a popular movie when it came out? So on a cool note, I mean looking at like the IMDB ratings. Hmm. It has a 6.5 out of 10. That's pretty good. And I'd say, I mean, sometimes people are harsh on certain Stephen King movies. So I think that's still really yeah, impressive. <laughs> and, uh, and it was actually the screenplay was by Stephen King himself. Yes. I see that. I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> I always love when he does the screenplay too. Like there's he, some movies of his where they remake them where it's not his screenplay. Right. Like it chapter 1 was like that. I forget who wrote who wrote that, but it was um the dude who wrote it chapter 1 and chapter 2. Never mind. I don't want I don't want to get into it, but he's he's actually done some other pretty cool stuff. Oh, I could imagine. Uh, eleven point five million dollar budget, with a box office of eighty nine point five million dollars, and this is uh, nineteen eighty nine. So 
probably like 300, 400 million dollars in today's money, you know, on a 11.5 million dollar budget in 1989 would probably be like, I don't know, 25 million, 30 million dollars today. Give or take, yeah. That's pretty good. Have you uh have you ever seen the sequels? I've I guess I kind of interested in seeing Pet Cemetery 2 now. I was going to say this is probably going to be super random, but I have the sequel <laughs> on Laserdisc, believe it or not. <laughs> oh my god, do you have a Laserdisc player? I do. Wow. I have That's my impressive. setup has all three like a VCR Laserdisc player and like DVD player right next to each other. <laughs> That's impressive. I know I have a a DVD player and a VHS player, but I actually don't use the DVD player. I just use my PlayStation 4. That's fair, though. <laughs> yes, I still have a PlayStation 4. I haven't broke down and got the 5 yet. I don't blame you, though. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. I'm so... <laughs> I know I mentioned uh, reviewing some video games. There's a few video games out there that are practically movies. Like, I'm telling you. I don't know if you're big into video games or you play video games at all, but there are a couple games out there that I I am in love with that are almost like movies that you play. Um, and I love that because it's like breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. Like, uh, all, like uh, Uncharted 1 through 4, they're all, they're just movies. Like, And you could... You can go onto YouTube and watch all the cutscenes. You know, you you play for for five ten minutes, and then there's like a, you know, a, a one to five minute cutscene, and then you play again for, you know, a while, and there's another cutscene. You could pretty much watch all the cutscenes, to you know find out what's what's going on. But uh, I would I would definitely like to review, Uncharted Four at some point, and then The Last of Us Part One which were made by the same people who made Uncharted. And then, um, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Red Dead Redemption. It's like a cowboy yes. game. Uh, did you watch the uh, the Last of Us TV show? I was going to say I did. You did. Okay, well. That's uh, what got me into the idea. I'm like, you know, I could see myself getting back into the game too oh man if you liked uh the last of us video uh tv show the video game is so good like i make it a point to play the last of us part one and part two once a year like it's so good and i could and it's not like a like a sandbox game or a or not, where you can just go wherever it's kind of like story driven where you go from one point to the end point you know and there's not a whole lot of exploring you can do but it's like it doesn't get old it's just so good it's such a good story it's just like i just want to play it once a year <laughs> i love that i <laughs> i seriously will make it a point to like play it yeah and, and the game is different than the, the show so you'll definitely get a different you know perspective of I was going to say, I could picture the game having a really cool storyline. Yeah, I mean, the storyline is the same, but there's some uh, bits and pieces that are different. 
That's fair. But um, but anyway, as I was gonna say, I think the only video game that could be adapted into a TV show that could rival The Last of Us would be Red Dead Redemption Two. It is such a great game. Like it is so so good. It, you're like an outlaw, right? You're an outlaw, Western outlaw. The West has died. You know, you know, you're on the run from the law. Um, so it is like a post-apocalyptic game too, right? Uh, Red Dead Redemption. No, it's just like a historic game. Like it's like it's like 1909 or something like that. Um, and uh, you're just like in the West, you know. Oh, I really like that. That yeah, it sounds like a, a good game. concept. Right. And uh you're in a gang. You're in a gang and um something bad happened. You were like robbing this this place and you had to get out of there and some people died and you're on the run and like the uh uh the de- the detectives are after you and all that and blah 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 blah. Anyway, as you go on through the game, you end up getting tuberculosis. So you're dying throughout the game, right? And you go yep. from being a really shitty person to like a really good person. Uh, and you're like trying to fix all these wrongs that you've done and make everything better before you die. And it's just such a good and like at that by the end, like you're in tears <laughs> about, you know, because you, you you obviously have to die because you have tuberculosis. But it's like, oh, man, it's so good. I love that. I <laughs> I would totally check that one out, too. Yeah, I mean, it, but it, it's a super long game. Like, <laughs> it is. It it's more of like a explore because you you have like the whole West you can explore. You could explore for. I think it's a hours. huge like open world, right? Yeah, it's it's huge, huge. But um, but yeah. So I just wanted to bring that up. But yeah, so that was Pet Cemetery. Uh, I'm so glad that that you wanted to do this. Um, I am too. Such an iconic book, movie, and everything that comes along with it too. Yeah, as we said, now we'll be able to talk more. Um, about a lot of the backstories. Yeah, and I definitely hope that the release of Pet Cemetery Bloodlines uh, drives some traffic. That that's so cool that. I didn't know that they were coming out with that so soon. That'd be really cool if people wanted to find some uh some 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 more pet cemetery content and discovered the show through that. Right. And I know and it's in its own way, what I find interesting about it, it could almost tie into like having even like a stranger things feel to it. Just because of the time frame it's set in. Oh, yeah, like the 80s stuff? Yeah. I, 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 there's something about that time period, you know? It's just it like really special. is. It's special. Even like the 90s, going into the, ni- the 80s and the 90s, there's just something about it where it's like timeless. So, yeah. <laughs> That's Pet Cemetery. Um, uh well that was a awesome show yeah i guess i kind of want i just wanted to mention our our uh our list that we've got going so far definitely 
upcoming shows. Um, I don't know if you can hear my kid; he's yelling again. But uh, <laughs> but we got a pretty good that. lineup coming up. Yeah, I was interested in doing ginger snaps. I don't know if it. Have you ever heard of that? I know it was funny until you mentioned it to me. I had never heard of it, but I'm really like excited from what I've read about it so far. Yeah, it's it's like a like kind of get into it more. Yeah, it's really like like grungy and and almost dirty, like something about it. But it it's actually really good. I even I'd never heard of it. I've heard of it. I didn't know really know what it was. Um, oh no problem. <laughs> uh, I'd heard of it. I didn't really know what it was. What it was until I'd watched it a couple years ago. And now it's like a class. Like, I, I have to watch it every year now. Um, and then I also wanted to do. Uh, I already forgot what it was. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Real oh. quick on a cool note, I was going to say. I'm seeing that there's even two sequels to Ginger Snaps. Really? I did not know that. So that, you know, makes it even more intriguing if there's a whole universe to it. Yeah, that's not I didn't know that. I only knew of the one, but uh but another movie I wanted to do was Have you seen Coraline? You must have seen Coraline. Oh God, yes, I love that movie. Me too. It's another one that it's like me and my son watch that one every year. Um, I'm in love with Coraline, and I even that that's another one that I have the book too, uh, which is also really good. Um, I could see why though, like we've said before. I mean, any movie that's really good that has a book, you can only imagine how much more detail right. you're going to get into. It's actually a short story. You know who Neil Gaiman is? I do. Yeah, so it's written by him, and it's a short story. I mean, it's still still like five hours long or something like that, but it, it's it's good. Um, And the first time I watched... I watched that Coraline movie, I was... I think I was, like, tripping on acid or something... And it was like, it was incredible. <laughs> I'd never seen anything like it in my whole life. And it stuck with I me. I can only imagine that'd be very surreal. Um, And then did you want to do the original uh, Evil Dead or the remake? I know, it's funny. I mean, I honestly feel like it could be cool to do the original. Yeah, that's a movie I have never seen. I've seen the first like ten minutes, and then I got distracted, and by the time I went back to watch it, my my rental was was up, so I didn't get to to watch it all. And it, it's well, I mean, I'd say it's definitely it's a good movie. I'll say that. I mean, it's kind of like even with Pet Cemetery. They each kind of have their charm to it, but yep. there's definitely something about the original Evil Dead. Perfect. Uh, 
And Scream 1. Scream 1 is holds a special place in my heart. It it totally revamped and revived the horror movie genre. And I think it it's a staple in anybody's Halloween collection. I agree. It's I mean like you said, it's iconic and the fact that it really revamped horror in such a significant way. And it deals with that 90s time period that I love so much. 80s and 90s. I know. And I just love how, even though there's similarities, they're also so distinct, too. Right, yeah. But, but yeah, so that's the, that's the show line that we've got so far. Got a lot of good stuff we're going to get into. And I know we even talked about, you know, at some point, too, we want to do Donnie Darko. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish we could. Maybe I'll sacrifice, like, Ginger Snaps or something to do Donnie Darko. I know that's just it's such a fun movie because I just want you to I just want you to see Ginger Snaps. (laughs) I know. I agree. That's a must. And I mean, like... It is. It's just... It is. It's like a different take on the werewolf genre. Totally, totally different. I'm going to make a pledge to you, too. I'm going to literally watch that in the next two or three nights. All right. And then you can decide if you want to... We want to do that one or we want to do Donnie Darko. All right. I'll let you go. It's getting loud in here. No problem. All right. We'll see you next time on Real to Real Movie Reviews.